Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, pro natural physique athlete, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today I'm joined again by Jim Wendler, who is the inventor of 531, which is a really powerful system for building strength and hypertrophy, and as is a celebrated coach and athlete himself, having trained with many elite athletes. So thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it, man. I hope things are well. We talked a little bit prior to this, so... Uh... I noticed how you now can introduce yourself as pro. Right? <laughs> the new intro. Is that how you is that how you introduce yourself to girls and <laughs> on my resume? <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Fuck the so, MD stuff. Put the pro in there. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So all right. Today we're going to be talking about accessory movements for hypertrophy and strength, and I think this is going to be a really fun chat. I think everyone loves talking about accessories and there's a big question I had I remember when I was starting out was kind of choosing your other lifts around the big three so we're going to be talking about first of all is favorite variations of the big three movements or favorite squat bench and deadlift and then some of the accessory movements that he likes to program for athletes and we'll talk about some of the advantages of these different lifts as well as some do's and don'ts and technique tips so yeah right. let's get right into it i guess starting out jim i want to ask you when choosing your accessory lifts what should be the goals of having these movements uh well i guess technically it depends on what your goals are uh so as an example uh with the kids that i coach our primary focus is we call it uh you know <clears throat> building armor building mass uh remember these are you know 14 15 16 17 year old kids so i have a bunch of statements i always say you want to win the battle of the bus you know so when the kids walk this is football by the way in case anyone didn't notice the battle of the bus means when you walk off the bus you'll all look strong and huge okay uh or the prom muscles or whatever else you want to call, even though girls don't really care, even though we think they do. <laughs> so, but that for those kids, uh, if you don't have uh, at least some muscle mass, that's the most important thing because uh, in order for these kids to get faster and stronger, they need to put on some muscle mass. Mm -hmm. Now, people will always argue, well, bodybuilders, you know, Jay Cutler, Ronnie Coleman, they're not faster than X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, exactly right. They're, they've gone much more overboard. Uh, but if you have a kid who's, you know, six foot, 130 pounds, my primary goal besides building a general physical preparedness base is to put muscle on him. If we can put muscle on him, we can get him stronger. He will be faster. He'll be more agile. Um, and that's just the, the truth. Um, I think a lot of times this is, I'm going to start going off on a tangent. So I apologize. Oh yeah, no, go for I it, think a, it. I think a lot of times, uh, we will see, uh, the, the same, <clears throat> let's say you have like a giant linebacker who play in the NFL. I'm just giving this and he's, you know, six foot two thirty five, and he does all these crazy specific kind of training. And they try to apply that to a, you know, five, eight, 130 pound kid. Well, the issue is he doesn't have the same kind of muscle mass. He needs to get to that point where he can do more specialized stuff. I think a lot of times people try to put it the advanced ideas before they even have any kind of physical base. And that includes building muscle. So with that in mind, the other thing is once you get to a certain point, let's say you're powerlifting and your main goal is to have a, you know, 
even if you're not competitive, you want to have a bigger squat. Mm -hmm. uh, if you already have a ton of muscle mass on there, putting more on is probably not going to help you out. Okay. Um, so to do so would probably just take away from whatever else you're doing. So at that point, your assistance work would be only to help build the lift. So I found myself obviously early on, it was just getting big and, you know, having to get in a pump. That's all I cared about. Well, not all I cared about, but that should have been more of my focus. And then as I, you know, started squatting heavier and heavier and, and you know, this is well, this is probably 13 years or so into training then I could specialize a little bit to increase those lifts. And then the, the other thing is, you know, even at that, when I was 26, 27, 30 years old, I still had to make up for some lost time of muscle building that I didn't address when I was younger because I was an athlete. Everything was done for athletics and I didn't have a good grasp on everything I need to do. But the bottom line is muscle mass first. Uh, and, you know, I, I the, the funny thing is, is whenever I <clears throat> bring this up, invariably someone says, well, so-and-so, uh, my uncle, he weighed 165 pounds. He did five bench 500 for 38 reps, dude. It's like, well, first you can't use the, <clears throat> the exception to prove the rule. Yeah. And the other thing is I have been around, uh, my life, like <clears throat> some smaller lifters, uh, like 165ers, for example, who were insanely strong. I mean, like the, <clears throat> The, the best lifter I've ever seen compete in the meet was a 165er. Mm. And so everyone, they would use that muscle mass thing, except if I showed you a picture of his back and you saw his chest and his shoulders, you'd be like, holy shit. He's, his back rivals any bodybuilder's back I've ever mm. seen. So even when you're smaller and stuff, that still is incredibly important uh, to build that, you know, that kind of mass. So, um, but generally speaking, everyone could use a little bit of, especially younger beginner lifters or uh, especially even older lifters. I think it's super important. Uh, you know, even my my parents are 74, 75 years old, and they are always going on these crazy bike trips across Europe or whatever. And I always tell them the most important thing at your age is just to <clears throat> increase, make sure you have muscle mass because that starts to fade. Yeah, that's a huge thing. And uh, the other thing is at that, this is going off script here, but the other thing at that age, obviously you, you don't have the testosterone, but you can build some muscle without totally slamming yourself. Uh, you know, you don't have to lift squat 500. You don't have to do singles on the squat. Uh, so mm -hmm. anyway, there you go. So that's really the primary function is at least in my eyes and how I apply it to my kids that I work with. So Hell, yeah. my uh, ten-year-old son. Uh, our training is we have. Uh, he trains every single day, uh, and he has basically three facets of his training, and one is what I call uh, GPP or grinder work. This includes calisthenics, body weight movements, a lot of prowler work. Uh, his other is for like the main lifts, like we do squat, bench, deadlift. Mm. Uh, we do all that is what I call the berserker lifts and the berserker lifts. You do the Vikings berserker. We all want just power and speed and precision. Mm. And then we have our beefcake lifts and mm -hmm. that's the assistance lifts. And we're just trying to build some muscle. So that's how we divvy up the training. And he under, even though I have to repeat myself 
probably 300 times a day about what a berserker lift is and what a beefcake lift is and what the grinder is. Uh, it, it, that's kind of how we divvy it up. So, yeah, anyway, no, that's great. Yeah, I think that'll translate really well to my audience because I think a lot of people are interested in, you know, building that uh, mass and like it's great to hear your perspectives on, you know, just athlete development in general and how you kind of start off with more, you know, general type training and then you can always get really, really specific later on. Yeah, and people have, have to understand that general training, it's not six months, it's five years. Like it, you can really, you need to melt that. And, uh, especially, uh, in this day and age, and I don't, I don't want to be the old curmudgeon, but there is a general drop off of general physical preparedness, mm -hmm. uh, with the kids that we work with. Um, it's really horrid is what it is now. It's not their fault, but it's my responsibility to get them there. So we have to spend a lot of time doing all the stuff that most kids 50 years ago would take for granted. And, uh, I have tremendous amounts of data on this. And, uh, so I still think that prep work is super important. So, and the, it's like learning a language. Do you, do you speak uh, a language fluently other than English? No, I don't. Okay. So it, when you learn a language at a, if a kid learns it at a fairly young age, it's very easy for them. Yeah. Now, once you get to a certain point, it's very hard. I mean, you can still do it, but it's not the same, uh, you're not going to have the same results. It's the same thing with general fitness. If you start early, you'll set them up for life. Okay. So, uh, that's the same kind of idea. Oh yeah. Yeah. There I like that. So yeah, I think we'll transition to starting talking about some of the main lifts and we'll kind of organize this by lift. Uh, so I guess starting okay. off with yep. the squat, uh, to kick it off, maybe just talking about a few of, uh, in terms of your your main variation of the squat. How do you like to get your athlete squattings in terms of high bar, low bar stances and such? Okay. So this is probably where I differ with a lot of people. I don't think it matters one bit. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, if an athlete squats better with a low bar position, maybe a little bit of a wider stance, that's great. If he has to do it high bar, that's fine. Uh, if he has to squat on a box, that's fine. If the kid needed a front squat for whatever reason, I don't really care as long as they're doing the squat movement. Um, so that's, I think a lot of people get kind of hung up on that and they'd like to qualify a lift. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, oh, he, he did a squat high bar, especially in powerlifting. This always kills me. Like he squatted 880 with a high bar. I'm like, you know why he reason why that guy uses a high bar? It's not to impress you. It's because he's stronger than a high bar. Because it's powerlifting. That's his whole goal is to lift as much weight as possible, yeah. not to make the lift more difficult. Uh, so I am of the uh, idea that as long as you're doing something, uh, that's the most important thing. So we'll just work with the kid um, as much as, you know, as much as we can. Now, obviously, we, there's some general things, you know, put the bar on your back. Like we always start with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and we always start with, you know, the basic stance and then we'll, we'll start farting around from there and see how the kid does. So, uh, one of the big things is <clears throat> just like I talked about with my son, we use the main lifts. Uh, we never overload them, uh, to a point where like the form starts breaking down. Mm -hmm. you know? So we use that same idea we want on the main list. We want power, speed, perfection. Every rep is perfect. Uh, you're not just doing this on the bench. You're boom, you know, locking out, having a great, uh, uh, eccentric phase. It's not just flopping down on your chest, stuff like that. Um, 
So with the squat, I don't like, just like any other lift, really, it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't, as long as you're doing the movement. And then once we get to that point, we can start loading, uh, as long as he's, you know, ready, ready for it. So like, yeah, I know I like even that. with my, yeah, with my youngest kid, uh, he could dumbbell squat like a champ, you know, holding a dumbbell here, goblet mm -hmm. squat or whatever with the barbell, he had trouble. So we spent six months just literally doing a shit ton. Sorry. A lot of prowler work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of dumbbell squat work, just tons of it. And he got so, you know, eventually we put the bar on his back. It was easy. It was like night and day difference. So uh, when I say bar on your back, it's a training bar. He doesn't go very heavy. He just, you know, kicking butt on the squat. So there you go. Yeah. So no, yeah. there. Yeah, I like that perspective. So don't, be, don't be, yeah, don't be tied down. Uh, you know, especially if you're not competing in powerlifting, it doesn't really matter that much as long as you try to do it. In my estimation, you tr try to do it in the biggest range of motion that's possible that's, mm. that you can do healthy. Um, we've had kids with uh, some hip issues or some back issues that they had a squat on a little higher box. Fine. I don't really care. We're going to do it like that. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a great perspective, I think, in terms of not getting married to one setup where I think that a lot of, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to nuances with people's body proportions and like limb lengths yeah. and that and that kind of thing and yep. people will find ultimately that one form of the lift just grooves better for them yep. and that they just feel stronger and feel feel good with that so that's usually what i recommend as well for people you know the other thing you have to understand too is a lot of times a lot of those lifts don't feel well because they haven't done the general base fitness work that their assistance work hasn't been done very well. So they're just not strong enough to hold certain positions. So that's where the, like, you know, you talked about assistance work. That's where that comes in. That allows your body to actually <clears throat> do the lift correctly. You know? So there you go. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And so I guess just opening the floor up then beyond the main barbell squat, what are your favorite assistance movements for squatting? So uh, this is, we're going to, I'll take it on uh, two fronts. I'll take it yeah. on the, the kid front and then what I did. Uh, so with the kids, anything that we can do with your legs in general. So we do something for our lower body every single day uh, for the assist. So here's, I'll just, we do uh, lunges, mm -hmm. a lot of body weight squats, dumbbell squats, prowler stair sprints or hill sprints uh and we've done straight leg deadlifts but that didn't do very well uh we do a lot of glute ham raises a lot of uh i don't even know what it's called the inverted leg curl or russian leg curl or whatever where you hold the kids kneeling down on the ground and you hold his ankles and he kind of comes oh, forward and comes Nordic lowers. there we go yeah there's been you know who knows what it's called i don't know uh, so anything that we can just kind of bomb their legs with that allows them to do it at a high volume without any kind of real injury potential, mm. uh, especially with, you know, I got this year, we had about 60 kids in the weight room and there's one of me. So a lot of that, like, listen, we have to get, <laughs> I have to make sure that the lifts that we choose for the kids, that when I have my back turned, it doesn't turn into a complete shit show. Uh, we also have some kids, uh, that have weight vests. Like I'm a huge fan of the weight vest. They'll put that on and instead of doing body weight squats, they'll have a 20 pound vest and knock some of that stuff out. 
Uh, so anything that kind of uh, smokes the legs that allows them to go through a full range of motion and conditions the legs to a large degree. Uh, we do a ton of jumping. I'm a huge fan of jumping. I think jumping carries over better to lifting than people will ever know, mm. especially if you if you want to be strong and explosive. It, it kind of teaches you how to explode real quickly, just like at the bottom of the squat. You don't just ease into it. That has to be a powerful, violent movement. So mm -hmm. I think jumping is huge. And we do jumps in the off season three days a week. Uh, it's not, a, we don't do a ton of volume, maybe 20 to 35 contacts uh, at a time. And we use standing long jumps, uh, bounding drills, obviously box jumps. That's probably the easiest one for uh, people to do. And <clears throat> so that's for the younger kids. We also do a lot of abs. So we do a lot of leg raises. Uh, and I do that because I think it's important to have strong hip flexors. Um, mm. So some of the older, stronger kids can do hanging leg raises, you know, when they hang from a bar and lift their legs up or, you know, lift their knees up. Uh, we also do on the ground uh, some abdominal work. Abdominal work is super important because as we transition into what I did when I got stronger, the most important thing <clears throat> that changed for me for going from like what you'd call a fairly good squat and deadlift to very, very good, at least mm. in my eyes, was a ton of abdominal work and a ton of low back hamstring work, uh, like a good morning or the back raise with the, uh, I have a 45 degree back raise that I used and I'd always load it. So I put a barbell on my back and just arch up and down because, uh, if you can't take the weight out and completely own it, if you're starting to fold, it doesn't matter how strong your legs are. It does not matter one bit. And I can attest that every guy that I trained with, you know, at powerlifting, they smashed and hammered their abs and low back. I'm sorry, but if you want to get stronger in the squat and deadlift, you're not going to do it just by squatting and deadlifting. The only way that works is if you're completely 100% built for those lifts. Uh, so if you, um, so you see a lot of guys, they'll say, well, you know, so-and-so who squatted 900 or whatever, and he only did squats. Well, that's, yeah. that's great, but he, he probably did something up until then, or he's built to do that lift and he doesn't really need to do that. But if you are struggling, uh, if you're just kind of like a normal person, you're going to have to really uh, touch into that. Now, the, the third thing that I did was very much what I did with the kids was I did a, uh, at elite FTS, we had something called the, oh my God, what was it called? Oh my God. It was a, uh, it's kind of like a hack squat machine, but it was, uh, facing the other way. It's really oh, different. So yeah. it's not exactly, it's called power squat. It was a power squat machine. So if you, people don't there, they have these things in certain gyms, but if you went on elite FTS's website and you saw the power squat. And so for two years, every Monday, I would do the power squat for probably, you know, starting very light all the way up to an incredibly heavy sets. I went up to like 1,315 pounds, Damn. Uh, which <clears throat> was not really 1,000, you know, because it's a machine. And I just bombed the shit out of my legs. I mean, I got my legs as strong and as conditioned as possible. So every Monday I would do the power squat. I would do uh, a ton of incredibly heavy ab work. And I would do the 45 degree back raise until like my eyes bulge out of my head. And so it was pretty much hamstrings, low back, abs, and just get as strong legs as possible. And if you don't have access to a power squat, which most people don't, but, uh, you know, something as simple as a leg press uh, will work. And 
you don't have to necessarily go super heavy. You just need to do a ton. Like you need to build your legs so much that you're basically building the quads and ass of armor, just mm-hmm. big, as strong as possible. And that's usually, uh, when I first started doing it, I would do sets of 10 all the way up. So I might do 20 sets of 10. Now the first eight sets were pretty easy, but mm-hmm. that starts building up and building up and building up and building up. And over time, like my legs got really, really, really strong. And the benefit of like a leg press or a power squat is I never had to think about the form. It was mm-hmm. what I call like a Neanderthal lift. Like the, the <laughs> yeah. leg press, all you got to do is push. Like you don't have to lock in just like a squat or a deadlift where everything needs to be kind of perfect. It's just kind of a dumb, dumb lift. Um, so now uh, the only, I mean, obviously I don't really consider like the front squat or a safety squat bar an assistance lift. That's more of a supplemental lift or you can use the main lift. But uh, if you're kind of stuck in it, you know, at a certain point, if you've gotten your squat, you know, well past the two times body weight, those are some things you may need to address. Um, so, but yeah, I would say it, it's <clears throat> at the beginning, you need to develop just basic leg condition and strength with some abdominal work. And then as you start to get farther away and get stronger, you need to really kind of hone in on this stuff that, uh, uh, it's, it's when you start to get really strong, the, the mental side of the game comes more into play than ever before. Mm. Uh, and I think one of the things is when you have a incredibly strong mid session and you take off 900 pounds, it shouldn't feel like anything on your back. And, uh, so I think that's a huge thing, uh, for a more experienced, stronger lifter. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really cool to hear. And I think I think that's kind of a it's a little bit a product of our social media generation, I think, where people now that they have access to like quick information like this, it's so easy for them to just access these, you know, elites and see like, oh, this guy, all he yeah. does is the competition squat year round. And, you know, he only does a few sets. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the things that I still do today is I put a, a weight vest on and I will climb stairs for an hour. Mm. and uh we have a stadium over you know at the high school the football stadium and i'll just go up and down i'll I'll skip a step you know every step so it's like doing an explosive step up and uh it works wonders i mean if you if you put on especially if you once you get past like the 50 50 60 pound vest if you're doing that uh and maybe do i think i worked up to i have to do the math in my head Mm. Uh, i don't know maybe five or 6,000 steps in a workout, you know, with the vest on going up and down, my legs were in my ass were fucking huge. Like it was, and, and you get a really good conditioning component in there too. So it kind of kills two birds with one stone. And obviously if you're wearing the weight vest, you get a tremendous amount of core work, uh, and your traps are burning to hell. Uh, so, uh, so I, I don't think sometimes the answer lies and going back a little bit for some people that maybe don't have that fitness background, they just need to get in better overall, what I call like ass kicking shape. That's mm-hmm. stuff that makes you in an ass kicker. Uh, you know, having that kind of strength and conditioning up to a certain point where you're not just focused on doing everything like clinically in a weight room where you need to go out and actually get some like, I don't know if you call it real world or whatever, but I think it helps greatly. I see it all the time in our kids, especially with very weak, obese kids. Like they just need to get that, that dumb, dumb strength going. 
and that conditioning. So there you go. Mm -hmm. And then what are your thoughts on some of the other machines like the hack squat and Smith machines? Uh, I, I never used a Smith machine, so I can't really talk mm. about that. Uh, the, uh, but any thing that you can do that, uh, kind of removes the, the thought process, I think is a good thing. Now, how the, like the, I've done hack squats before and I trained the shit out of my legs. I don't know how much it actually transferred, uh, to the squat. So mm -hmm. I, I, even the leg press for me never really transferred that much, but I can def, I know a lot of guys that did, especially with the deadlift, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with, uh, it seemed to help more on the deadlift, but the general thing is if you don't have <clears throat> muscular legs, you got to do stuff. <laughs> I mean, you got to yeah. do something. And you need to address it with the same amount of ferocity that you would address other lifts. Uh, and I see, uh, and I was guilty of this too, uh, for a little bit that I didn't apply that same kind of, uh, and I don't, you don't have to like, you know, hit an ammonia cap before you do your hack squats. <laughs> but if you want to get better, you're going to have to push harder. That's just, I mean, I, I think people kind of lose that sometimes. Uh, that doesn't mean that every workout's going to be a you know, gold medal day, but, uh, like we have uh, one of our, I don't know what you call it, like one of our badges of honor for freshman uh, mm -hmm. football players is they have to dumbbell squat a 50-pound dumbbell for 50 straight reps. And uh, it's become kind of a badge of honor. And we have, <clears throat> I, I am a huge fan of the dumbbell squat. Uh, it's, it's very easy for the kids to do it, mm -hmm. meaning that their technique is really solid. Number two, if you do it for a long period of time, you'll be surprised how big your arms and traps get because you're holding a heavy dumbbell here. Mm. Um, it allows for most kids have a much better range of motion because the weight is not as heavier, so they're not like cutting their squats. And uh, we had, I think, seven kids be able to do the 150-pound dumbbell for sets of 20 to 30 reps uh, on the and just the sheer brute strength of picking that dumbbell up because you can't, no one can hold, hand you the dumbbell. You can't like set it up on a high bench and kind of yeah. get under it. You have to, if, if you can't pick it up, you can't do it. That's part of the thing. Uh, so we've, and I was never a big fan of the dumbbell squat because I was so entrenched in like, you know, I lifted with guys that if you didn't bench 600, you were being made fun of. I mean, that's a weird world to be stuck in. And then I go to a high school gym and I'm like, holy shit, like, this is a whole other, it's a, it is so far beyond, uh, what I was used to. And I, uh, and the kids were very untrained that, you know, I'm like, well, shit, what do we do? And I gave it a shot and I couldn't believe how the success that we had, uh, for a younger lifter. So generally we, we try to do, uh, it's half your body weight for 20 reps. That's generally like, if you can get there, you're going to be okay. It doesn't mean that's where you stop with that. So if you're a 200 pound guy, 100 pound dumbbell for 20 straight great reps on the front on the front squat, the dumbbell squat. So there you go. Mm -hmm. So I'm yeah. gonna tell you this. Listen, I'm gonna the the need for basic physical brute dumb numbness needs to be addressed. It really does. Like I, we have a, our standard is 50. Everyone should be able to do 50 push-ups. And you're like, holy shit. 50, 50 push-ups is nothing. That's, that's, that's like, uh, the first five minutes of basic training. And if you're expecting to get stronger and you can't do a push-up or you can't do chin-ups or you can't do dips, like I love dips. 
that's a that's like a dumb dumb exercise too. And uh, so I sometimes I think people want to specialize way too much. That you know, like listen, if you let's just address the push-up problem. If you want to get a bigger bench and you can only do two push-ups, well, there's now we know how you what we can do to get you better. Yeah, so, no, that's there you go. That makes sense. And yeah, we'll be getting to the bench stuff soon. I wanted to talk about deadlift next, I guess, since we're on the topic of legs. So maybe starting off just with your your thoughts on the you know squat. I mean the sumo versus conventional, the age old question. Oh. It's funny because uh, I don't. This was never like a an issue when I was powerlifting. At least I didn't think it was. And then uh, I don't really go on social media or anything. But someone I saw some guy at a meet uh, who had a crazy. Uh, deadlift it was like 900 something it was a sumo deadlift and everyone was kind of pissing him on and i couldn't i couldn't couldn't wrap my head around him like well he did it within the rules mm-hmm. that's like saying this this touchdown is different than this touchdown when well, he ran harder he just <laughs> caught a little pass and, and you know there was no one on him so what does that count <laughs> uh so i don't think i think that's uh just people finding something to bitch and moan about or you know everyone wants to kind of take a side on some of that stuff but let me tell you something you let's just say uh sumo conventional or trap bar okay yeah the trap bar we do a ton of trap bar work at at the high school here and they'll say well that's not a real deadlift i'm like yeah you're right it's not a real deadlift but if someone deadlifts trap bars conventionals or sumos 900 pounds you're a strong dude i don't Mm -hmm. care how you you don't have to qualify it if you're picking 900 pounds off from the floor, uh, you're going to be okay. So I don't really think it matters. So in the in the with the assistance on the deadlift, uh, I did all my pulling uh, conventional, and I always have. And mm. uh, I fart around with sumo, but I'm so my hips are so tight, like I couldn't even get my legs out. Like it would be, <laughs> it ended up being like a weird straight leg deadlift, all rounded over, you know, like a candy cane. Uh, <laughs> so. But, you know, and I got this from uh, Louis Simmons is the uh, a lot of the same ideas from the squat transfer to deadlift. You said this earlier, um, but with the deadlift for most people, especially if you're pulling conventional, you need to have a super strong back. Now, if you watch like really strong deadlifters deadlift, very few are like perfect arch back. They have a little roundness in their back. Mm. Okay, They're not like crapped over. But the key is when you're deadlifting is when I raise up, that back shouldn't change. Okay. Meaning when, as soon as I lift the bar up, it shouldn't do this. Like their ass shouldn't come up. If you're able to maintain that static position, uh, you should be okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let's just be honest. Uh, if you're powerlifting, if you're trying to you know, deadlift a million pounds, the last thing on your mind is your health. <laughs> let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. So, but with that, uh, the number one thing I, I ever did was I addressed my <laughs> abdominals and low back because if I couldn't maintain that great body position, um, that <clears throat> it didn't matter how strong my legs were. It did not matter one bit. So those two things, and when I say low back stuff, uh, for me, the good morning was huge. You don't have to go super heavy, but I think a good range of motion on the, on the good morning helps the back raise or the 45 degree back raise, which is basically like a good morning. I call it the good morning without, the, with, uh, without politics because you can't really cheat. And when you use that, the back raise or the 45 degree back raise, 
you can't really cheat and you don't use the same um, uh, load and that will help save you a little bit. So when I was fairly strong, I did all my, I did usually five to eight sets of the 45 degree back raise. I'd start with the bar uh, for a couple sets of 10 that I put 95 pounds on that I put 135 on. And it's, you're essentially doing a super strict good morning. And you, you know, I squeezed the shit out of my glutes at the top and all that stuff. And, uh, that I, and the glute ham raises would be huge even with the squat too. Uh, but so, and then the, the third thing, and this was the final thing that really drove my deadlift high was, uh, high rep dumbbell rows, AKA croc rows named after, uh, Krasilewski, uh, Matt. And I always had a, I could lift any weight to about my, uh, mid thigh, I could, any, any weight, I mean, within reason, but I could never lock anything out. I had a horrible time with lockout. And I had nerve damage in my shoulder that affected my grip. Okay. Mm. So when I started doing the, uh, the high rep dumbbell rows that fixed my lockout at the top and fixed my grip issues. Mm. Okay. So we, and I couldn't believe it. Cause it's like, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an upper body movement. What the hell? So here's what happened. And this is, uh, when I started doing those, remember my left hand, I had no feeling in these two fingers at the time. So it was, I had a horrible time. Uh, so I did a test and I did the 150 pound dumbbell row for six reps with my bad arm. That's all I could hold horrible. Mm -hmm. So for like two months, all I did was every time, uh, I did any kind of, uh, I did it on my bench day too, because it's great for your bench, terrific for your bench because you have to your upper back and holding that position, especially yeah. when you're benching raw, super important. Uh, but my grip became like ironclad. So about Eight weeks later, maybe 12 weeks later or something like that, I tested again. Again, all I did was like rows and chin-ups, rows and chin-ups, rows and chin-ups. I uh, did 150-pound dumbbell for like 28 reps per arm. Mm, I did a 200-pound dumbbell for six reps with no straps, okay? Uh, so what I, it got to a point where my grip was no longer an issue. I had an ironclad grip because you try rowing a 150-pound dumbbell for 30 reps or so. Yeah. Your hands, you know, feel like you can choke. You can take out like someone's trachea. And so when I started doing that, I never had an issue locking out ever again. It became a just it completely wiped it away. And then so I started doing both uh, what I call like uh, high rep dumbbell rows without straps and with straps. Now, these kind of sometimes they're not like the, you know, uh, picture perfect rows. You're just kind of grunt. I call it grunt fucking the weight up. You're just rowing, rowing like you actually want to kill someone. Mm -hmm. And I, I ended up getting, you know, going up to like a 230 pound dumbbell for 25 reps with straps. And uh, people can and I would, too. I would see that and be like, well, are you really doing anything? And then you go deadlift. and You're like, oh, my God, am I so much stronger? So I think in, in my estimation uh, for the bench and the deadlift that the dumbbell row is a huge thing. So uh, what I did was I came up with some standards and it became the bare minimum would be half your body weight. Uh, so again, if you're a 200 pound man, half your body weight for 20 reps, intermediate would be 35 and advanced would be 50. And, he, and I, peep, I do the, when I, issued this, especially on my forum, people were like, oh, you're nuts. And then some of the old guys like, well, dude, I'm telling you, it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And you wait till you see if your if your grip ever has any issues or if you have any problems locking out or when you bench, 
if you can't ride on your upper back and support that weight perfectly, if you take it out and kind of sink, your upper back is not strong and thick enough. You talk about how important hypertrophy is. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest bench pressers I've ever seen in my life was George Halbert. And he benched, I think, from he benched from 198 all the way up to 275 class. Well, George, and this was in probably 2000, uh, he benched 683 at 198, which is at the time was such a colossal jump from what everyone mm -hmm. else. So this was probably, I don't know, maybe six months after he did that. I met George Halbert at my first powerlifting meet. And so I saw George head on and he was a definitely strong, muscular dude. George turns to the side and his back and chest were comically large. Yeah. It was like a caricature. And I was like, oh my God. And so I understood, you know, Louie always preached upper back, upper back, upper back. And then you see it in person. You're like, oh, that's, I, I'm nowhere I, where I need to be. So uh, I think those three things, the abdominals, uh, lower back and rows uh, will help just about anyone. And then obviously any kind of leg, dumb, dumb leg stuff really, really helps because you need to drive off the floor with incredible amount of, I mean, you have to ease the bar off. We call it taking the slack off the bar, but once you get that slack out of the bar, you have to accelerate. And if you, if your abs and low back aren't strong enough to handle that acceleration, that power, then you're just going to fold over and you're never going to lock out the weight. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Pretty, yeah. pretty simple as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, again, I, if you were going to really, uh, break it down for like the average guy. I think the abs and low back would be huge. And then you have the dumbbell squat, you know, minimum half body weight for 20 and the dumbbell row. Uh, I think those things would be, uh, would help just about everyone. So, and to, to be completely honest, uh, when I started understanding this, everything kind of changed when I'm like, listen, the main lifts are super important, right? They're like the meat. When you're making a stew, that's like the meat. Mm -hmm. But you need those other things, too. And I think people need to kind of push those a little harder uh, if they want their squat bench deadlift to go up. So and no one yeah. ever got smaller legs by doing, uh, you know, high rep leg press or put, picking up a 150 pound dumbbell and knocking out a 100 reps over a workout. It's like no one's ever going to get weaker, you know, like so there you go. Yeah, that's the thing we're learning about, you know, hypertrophy now, how seeing the science catch up with things where you can really build muscle in a really wide range of reps. And you yes. know, I totally see the value in going for the high reps. It takes a lot of grit though. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing is, and I, I saw this uh, with my kids I work with and the guys I trained with was, I think a lot of that stuff, like you said, builds grit. I think it builds an attitude, uh, a fierceness that you need to handle big weights. Um, now, not everyone probably needs this, but if you want to get stronger and really start, you got to you know, start getting, start pushing past what you think is normal. Your attitude needs to be such that you're willing to fight. And a lot of that stuff, I think, builds that fight. You have to learn how to be incredibly uncomfortable. You have to go into that dark part in your head. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's super important for just about anyone. Uh, it helps build a tremendous character and resolve, too. Uh, that's one of the reasons why, like me personally, uh, I had to change my training uh, because I could no longer lift very heavy. So I wasn't developing the insanity that I need. Does that make sense? Like I needed, I need to push. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And so when I started doing some different stuff, I learned, okay, I could still have that same attitude. I just have to apply it differently. And as soon as you do that, I think every part of your life ends up changing uh, if you can learn to apply it. So super important, I think. So Mm -hmm. there you go. And in terms of some of the more conventional, like, well, just standard barbell type movements, like deficit deadlifts, snatch grip deadlifts, and RDLs. What are your thoughts on those? Uh, I think they're good, but I would not replace the main lift with those. I would do that as what we call supplemental work. So as an example, uh, the main lift goes first. The second exercise would be or supplemental would be deficit deadlifts. Uh, rack, rack pulls are a huge thing. Everyone loves rack pulls, right? It's like, uh, cause you can lift a ton of weight yeah. and feel like you're doing something. Uh, snatch grip deads are tremendous, especially great for, uh, building speed off the ground because you're in a deeper position. It helps build some uh, strength. Even if you stood on a, uh, fairly, uh, small elevated platform, uh, the trap bar deadlift, uh, can really help out. Uh, so I think those things, are tremendous. I just don't know if everyone needs them right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now that doesn't mean you can't use them occasionally, but I think sometimes specialization, like if you think if you can't do, you know, uh, a dumbbell squat with X amount of weight, I don't know, or a, uh, you can't do back raises perfectly for, you know, 50 reps. Uh, do you really need deficit deadlifts right now? Or maybe you should address the small little issues that are probably really holding you back. So there you go. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to the bench press, you've already talked a little bit about some of the upper body work, but your favorite accessories. So the I've always been horrible. That's like my worst lift, if you uh, <clears throat> by far my worst lift. And I think a lot of it has to do with I never really benched much or did any upper body work for about the first five years of training, everything mm. was revolved around squatting, hills, jumping, cleans, squatting, hills. So it was all about lower body strength and speed and power. So I've always had to play catch up. And uh, towards the end of my college football career, I started getting a little more specialized in upper body stuff. And so Here's the things that I, I thought made a huge difference is the biggest difference I did was I started pressing overhead. My shoulders were insanely weak, insanely weak. Uh, so I started pressing, uh, on, I lifted, uh, I did bench stuff on Sundays and Wednesdays. So on Sundays I would do some, like a main movement and then I would just bomb the shit out of my shoulders with the press. And I'm talking, they were weak. I mean, horrible weak there. I did weights. I wouldn't even tell you. Uh, that's why I did them by myself in an empty gym. <laughs> I didn't wake up early. It was bad. So, uh, so to put this in perspective, uh, I was able to bench about 400 pounds and I couldn't press 135 over my head. Hmm. That's how now a lot of it, I had shoulder injuries and you know, I took a tremendous amount of pounding on my shoulders. I had impingement issues, but I just couldn't press even when I was healthy, I couldn't do it. So this was in January uh, 2000. And so, uh, in March, my couple friends and I did a bench press competition. It wasn't a meet, but we just, you know, said, let's just train for something. Mm -hmm. So I did nothing but overhead press on Sundays, 
or I did chain push-ups. You know what I'm talking about? Like they, they call them uh, ring push-ups or TRX push-ups. Mm. We didn't have that cool stuff. We just uh, made our own. I did uh, presses, <clears throat> chain push-ups, and I always did them with like a heavy band or great, not heavy, an average band around my neck. So I'd have to learn how to accelerate to lockout. Mm. Always doing about 50 to 100 total reps uh, every workout. Uh, and I would do some dumbbell incline stuff or dumbbell pressing on Wednesdays. Okay. So I went from a 400 shitty pound bench to a 440 in March. Mm. The next month I benched 455. So it was like one of those things like, it was like I found the Holy grail. Now I don't yeah. know if everyone's Holy grail is going to be that, but there's going to be something. Uh, so I think <clears throat> any kind of full range movement, uh, other than the bench press is going to help. And for a lot of people that would be the dumbbell, uh, dumbbell work. Mm-hmm. Now here's the other thing is most people because of the strength curve fail at the bottom. Like they can maybe generate a little power out of the bottom because of the stretch reflex and they don't get it anywhere. Mm-hmm. So when I would do the presses, when I would do the pushups, when I do all the dumbbell work, I did it with the, the purpose of driving off my chest. So for example, when I would do the pushups, I'd go down, I'd hold that static position, hold, and then fire as hard as I could, lock it mm-hmm. out, hold down. With the dumbbell presses, I would bring down, I wouldn't just do this. I'd bring it down, learn how to fire everything all at once. With the presses, I would keep it here, you know, down position. And then fire it up, lock it out overhead, bring it down. Uh, so I did everything with incredible amount of purpose. Every rep was done as if I was benching 500 pounds. I always picture it because I think 500 was like the greatest number in the world at that time. So everything was kind of focused on that. Uh, because you know everyone talks about the lockout on the bench. The mm-hmm. problem is, is it doesn't matter how much you lock out if you can't get there in the first place. It's like yeah. driving a ball off a tee. Everyone says, you know, how important putting is. Well, that's great. But if I can never get to the green, it doesn't matter how good a putting I'm in. It takes me 40 shots to get there. <laughs> great. Now it's 41. I, you know, I sunk a 20 footer. So big deal. So I think that <clears throat> getting hammering the shoulders and chest uh, with uh, not really, fl- I don't think flies really help. I mean, that maybe for shaping, mm. but no one ever got a bigger bench by doing, you know, flies with the, you know, I don't know. So handle some weights. I also push the reps on there, but the more important thing was each, each rep was done with incredible amount of purpose. Uh, even like, for example, when I would do the back raises, I'd go down and I kind of feel myself tense up. I'd slow down and then I would gather momentum and hold at the top uh, when I was doing the back raises, just like when you deadlift, right? You can't just jerk the bar off the floor when you deadlift. So having that kind of focus when you're uh, doing the assistant flips, I think is super important. Even with like the dumbbell squat, you have to hold. I want our kids to hold at the top and not arch back. They build a tremendous amount of tension in their body. And when they, they want them to control the, on the way down. And when they drive up, they drive up hard. I want that. I don't just want reps. I want explosive, meaningful reps. So, again, you can hem and haul a little bit about what exercise to do. But I think what's really important, too, is having, again, we talk about building grit, having that attitude when you do something. I think that carries over more than people think too. Yeah, that's a really well said. Where you really want to have that intention behind your like yeah. all of all of and all of your lifts, as you said, you know, not just yeah. finishing your barbell squat and being like, "Hey, I'm done for the day." You know, like, um, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna actually try as hard with this other stuff. Yeah, or... yeah. So yeah, I just 
And I think once people know what their goals are, then I think you're able to kind of ascertain how you're going to go about it. If you're just kind of going in there to do something, that's fine. But when you start having true purpose and true intent, everything starts to change. And I've seen it happen with, uh, it's usually happens junior year with our kids when they understand how to train and what's expected of them, everything, like their entire lives change, their bodies change, their attitude changes, because now they understand what they're doing is, is for a purpose and they're doing it with that attitude. And uh, I can't say enough about that. So. Mm -hmm. And then what are I your thoughts? On, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. No, the mindset is key. Uh, what do you think about some of the partial range pressing like floor presses, pin presses, board presses? Uh, well, <clears throat> I, I like doing the floor presses. I think I got a lot out of floor presses, uh, again, but I was already a fairly strong lifter at this time. Got it. Um, I, we did a ton of board pressing too. Uh, the problem is <laughs> I got good at board pressing because I learned how to board press better. Once I stopped learning how to board press better and had intent to the board press. I don't know if this is going to make sense. Then I got better at it. Hmm. So as then I got stronger bench. Okay. So as an example, if you ever see like a two or three board press, there's a way you can cheat. You can kind of bring the barbell into the board, kind of sink and then launch it off the board. Okay. Hmm. All right. So I learned how to do that. The floor press, you can't really do that. But anyway, with board pressing, I learned how that's because your, your goal is to lift as much weight as possible. So you're just yeah. like, I'll find my ways around it. And so what ended up happening is I got really good at board press. I think I had a raw board press, like a two, three board. I think I did 585 with a close grip. Crazy. And <clears throat> but I don't think that transferred very well. So what I stopped started doing was I would bring the the uh, the barbell down and I would just barely touch the board and then try to grind it up. And boy, you talk about an, <laughs> getting your ego slammed. Uh, you know, that's very, very difficult to do because you have to kind of stop midway. You're kind of isometrically holding. Then you got to grind the weight up. You have no momentum. Now, with the board or with the floor press, you can't really just I make, mean, I hope to God, you don't try to bounce your elbows off the ground. But we did the, well, I love the floor press. Uh, and because I was a fairly explosive lifter, the one thing was we would drape uh, the, heavy chains over the barbell. Uh, so every set was done with, I think, two chains per side so that, uh, I don't know how much that is. It's 44 extra pounds. And mm. so when you'd come down, <clears throat> obviously the chains deload a little bit and it, you have to press incredibly fast to outrun those chains. If you're just doing it all slow, those chains are just going to bog you down. So uh, the I thought the the floor press helped me tremendously again with intent because you have to bring the bar down. And when you're really, when I was really big, that bar touched my chest or was like a quarter inch away. Um, mm. So, you know, obviously I was much, much heavier and I had a bigger back and bigger chest and let's just face it, a bigger stomach. So, uh, but again, I think when I did that with intent, I think that really, really helped me. Uh, again, it's treated just like the deficit deadlift. You're more than welcome to do it. I don't know if I would replace the bench or the press, uh, with those things, but I, as a supplemental movement, I think they can have merit. But again, if you can't do 50 push-ups, 
you really think like doing a two board press with 85 pounds is going to help you? <laughs> like you got to, you got to kind of understand where this all fits in. Like I, the kids I work with, we never do any of that stuff, you know, and I, they just haven't earned the, the right to do them yet, you know? And <clears throat> plus, I mean, they're young kids. So, uh, if you're older, more experienced lifter, you, you may have to tap into that stuff, but I don't think a lot of people really need it. So, but mm -hmm. when, again, when I was much stronger, like we had to use some variations, you know, we do a lot of, uh, add some bands or chains to the bar. Uh, what else did we do? The Swiss bar, the Cambered bar, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, at the end of the day, you're still just pressing, you know, it's not terribly complicated. So again, purpose, purpose, purpose makes a huge difference when you really want to increase your strength. So. Yeah, I like how you really come into these accessories with an, you know, an intelligent idea of how you want to to transfer, right? Where you're talking about the board press and how you can basically turn it into a different lift if you if you wanted to, yes. right? By like kind of yeah. twerk like torquing your shoulders or like twisting things around a little bit where if you want to get stronger, you really want to think about how to transfer it, like really thinking about, yes. you know, explosion off the bottom, yes. pressing and such. Now, you know, the, the one thing that I, I, I can't expect a 15 year old kid to understand this stuff. So the only thing that we teach is control on the way down. We want everything you, I want you to be in control of that barbell, not the other way around control and then power on the, on the way up control on the way up. But I want power. So I want them to learn how to push you know with intention. So if you're not I don't, I wouldn't expect them to understand how to floor press, like, you know, how to, tr how to translate that. So, uh, again, uh, for, if you're kind of beginner, that's all we're looking for is control. You are, should always be in control of the barbell, the dumbbell. If not, the weight's probably too heavy. It's funny because it's <clears throat> when someone sends me a video of them like squatting and it's like, you know, just an absolute clusterfuck. And I said, well, does this look like, uh, is this how 95 pounds looks like? Like, well, no. Like, well, magically, if you use the correct weight, your form gets better. So you have to use the appropriate weight for the for whatever uh, whatever your body can handle. And as long as we're doing the reps correctly and we're building the assistance, over time, you're going to be able to handle 300 pounds just like you did 95 pounds. So a lot of the issues that I see are simply like a loading problem. They're just putting too much weight on there. And mm. it's funny because people are like, ah, you know, your scapula is not retracted and this and that. I'm like, well, he doesn't have that issue with a lighter weight. So why don't we <clears throat> focus on doing the things correctly and let the strength build over a period of time rather than trying to load and trying to nitpick the little stuff? Uh, because let's face it, on a maximal attempt, nothing's ever perfect. It's, you know, it's just not going to happen. So anyway. So like even with my youngest kid, we never load very heavy. We just load. We do the same weight along for weeks. We do the same weight over and over again. And then he kind of like <clears throat> hits like a, a monumental. Uh, what do I say? How do I say this? So we'll just keep on pounding like, you know, a 40 pound deadlift over and over again. And if I went up to 55, everything goes to shit. So we just do 40. We do 40. We do 10 sets of five or whatever it is. And then six months later, he's able to do, you know, we finally put 65 pounds on there. And now he's able to do that perfectly. So the goal isn't always to do more weight every workout. It's to do mm -hmm. the weight correctly with intention. 
And over time that builds up. So don't get caught up in the fact like I got to do five more pounds. You know, I did 65 pounds today. Next week it's 70. Your body doesn't work like that. It needs to accumulate the, the volume and accumulate the work and, and doing it correctly. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. A few things to unpack there, like in terms of, you know, coming back to what you were saying about the assistance work where like the way I see it is no one ever won a medal for, you know, Romanian deadlifts yeah. or your or board presses or you know like light yep. presses and yeah. not 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 trying to tie your ego to the weight. No, but what ends up happening if if like I've seen this happen way too many times. We did this this past year with the trap bar. We changed some of the programming and we trained much lighter, and the kids were like, "Uh," but after <laughs> like six weeks, we moved up a little bit, and now they were they were smoking weights that they couldn't even imagine. And there, so the training was always with, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I screamed the same things over and over again. And all of a sudden their bar speed starts increasing and their power and their control. And we had a, this was not like an uncommon thing. We had a kid who did most of his weights, his prior best deadlift was maybe 275 for two. We did two, started with 195, you know, and then we eventually for six weeks went up to 225 or so. And I always made sure the reps were solid. So this happened over a course of, let's say, eight months. He ended up doing four sets of five and a fifth set of 15 with 315 every two minutes. He did a set. That's insane amount of strength gains over Mm -hmm. it. Now, but we started by building that base of doing correct reps, reps with intention. Uh, So... Uh, don't be a, don't be afraid to do things right with the correct weight. It'll get you there faster. Now, if I told you like you could increase your deadlift that much, you're like, hell yeah. And like, well, do you really want to do the work? Cause a lot of it sucks, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's just, and the kid weighed, uh, 165 pounds. That's insane. He was a 50, he's a sophomore this year. Yeah. And so. that's a really good point as well. What you were saying about how you, don't always need to be increasing the weight every workout where no you know if you're lifting with diamond cut technique and really good intent you can you can still accumulate a lot of stimulus even though on paper yes. the workout might look basically the same and yes. it can lead to you know really really having breakthroughs in performance like our big thing was like i said we want i wanted oh my god it drives me nuts i want the kids to lift with aggression controlled, calm aggression, just aggression. And uh, obviously that carries over to the football field, but your reps end up getting better and better. And uh, like I always say, like whenever you lift that bar up, you're driving someone off the ball, drive someone off the ball, you know? So uh, anyway, I just uh, super proud of some of these kids, the way they worked and the way they, you know, it's an ego because young kids, I mean, happens with us too, older guys, they get their, self-esteem gets tied to how much they lift where I want their self-esteem to be tied to how good they do the lift. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I got this from a calisthenics guy. He always says, you know, your rep, your reps are your reputation. Are you doing them, uh, with the, with the correct integrity and character? And again, that doesn't mean just kind of doing this. It means everything's is is with intent. Everything is with power. Uh, and, uh, so there you go. I, I say, there you go all the time. So I apologize. (laughs) <laughs> all good and then yeah circling back to a little bit of the back work i know you talk quite a bit about you know the importance of some uh of having a strong upper back 
Are there any other exercises that you would also add to the list? You know, you talked about demo rows, bent rows. Yeah. So like the, for, we do a ton of, uh, we do chin-ups every single day. We start mm -hmm. off our workout with chin-ups, uh, and some other kind of body weight movement. Um, and again, this is athletics that I'm coaching, but I still think it's important that everyone just <clears throat> have the ability to do pull-ups and chin-ups, just like I think it's important for young kids to be able to run a mile. And it's not because they're going to go run a, <clears throat> run a mile. I think it's just important to have that kind of physical fitness, that general base of just aerobic, uh, fitness. Um, so, uh, but with upper back work, uh, we do uh, a lot of rear raises. So we just take a, we lay on an incline, uh, 45 degree incline bench, and we just, you know, out to the sides. We do those for super, super high reps. No set is ever done for less than 15 reps. Uh, we obviously do, we don't have, if we could, we would do a lot of face pulls, but we don't have any cable stations. Uh, I think face pulls are, again, this is, just don't do 10 reps. Put on a weight that's challenging, that doesn't obviously make you fall forward, that allows you to do it with great weight. Start doing sets of 20, 30, and 40. You need to really, so <clears throat> all this is like the little stuff. This is like the garnishes, you know, like this, the, the, uh, what's that? What's that? Hey, babe, what's that green stuff? Parsley. It's the parsley <laughs> on your, it still matters, right? The parsley <laughs> yeah. still matters when you're, when you're presenting. So for example, uh, we do a lot of dumbbell incline rowing where you lay on the bench. That way it takes kind of the lower back out of it. Mm. Um, uh, but the little stuff, the parsley is the face pulls, the band pull aparts is the rear raises. We also do something where we hold a <clears throat> plate out in front of us and we do a plate raise, but we go all the way over our head and we end it with our scapula and upper back completely uh, contracted up top it smokes your traps and your mm. shoulders. So <clears throat> I think a lot of that stuff is great for shoulder health. Uh, it helped me quite a bit in the past. Um, but if just general, like if you can't do chin-ups, uh, like you need to do some, you need to address that issue because I always say there's three reasons why you can't do a pull-up or a chin-up. Mm. Hold on one second. Oop. Hold on one second here. Oop. It's uh, your fat. You're overweight, mm -hmm. you're weak, or you're hurt. Okay, so I think you need to address that issue. It's the same thing with push-ups. Uh, can you do the you know push-ups? So to give you an you know we just so three day we train three days a week. We do chin-ups every single day uh, as part of our warm-up. And we had two 300-pound kids be able to do one chin-up with like a band, a band-assisted pull-ups. Now they're able to do sets of ten nice. with their body weight. Now that's an incredible, uh, and I have nothing to do with it. That's just them working their asses off. So, um, but with our pull-ups and chin-ups, I use those terms interchangeably because I, anything you get your chin over the bar. So we vary our grips quite a bit. Mm -hmm. okay. We do a lot of underhand, uh, pronated. We have a <clears throat> neutral grip, var variety of neutral grip. And then the kids start making up weird grips because I want them to be good at anything. Me personally, I do, uh, tons of, I do at least a hundred pull-ups every single day. And I also do rope pull-ups or towel chin-ups where you're holding on to something. Uh, again, great for your grip, uh, great for your forearm, stuff like that. So uh, you can never, you know, a lot of people say like chin-ups aren't great for your back. And I'm like, I don't do them just for the muscular back. We do them because that's a physical movement you should be able to do as a human. Just like 
squatting up and down. You'd be surprised. We have young kids, sixth and seventh and eighth graders who can't do a bodyweight squat. That's not acceptable in this world. It's really not. And uh, <clears throat> same thing. Uh, so uh, where am I going with this? So as long as you're doing, especially for maybe an overweight guy, you need to really smoke the rows and the, and the lat pulls. And if you can, get a band-assisted chin-up or something like that. So get, your, get yourself <clears> – how do I put this? If you get there, it, things will happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nothing. There's no negatives of an overweight guy leaning out, being able to do chin-ups. It's not like, you know, I got cancer. Why? I did chin-ups. Like <laughs> no one's ever gotten weaker by doing that stuff. So, and the other thing is if you have that ability now, do not lose it. Uh, so that's, if you're an older guy and you can, <clears throat> you can do chin-ups. It doesn't mean you have to do them all the time, but make sure you keep that in your training. So you're always able to do it. You'll thank me in like 30 years when you're still seven years old, knocking out chin-ups. So, yeah, I think that, you know, people kind of, it, it's, it's, it's funny how you see this like lopsided approach to lifting where everyone puts their, their egos on the bench, you know, and pressing movements, whereas pulling yep. and, and back work gets thrown under the wayside. And the way I see it is, you know, you have to approach your upper back training with as much priority and as much, you know, purpose as you're pressing. Like I, I program my weighted chin ups and my, my rowing movements like a main movement, right? Like, and I got, I got to the point where I was doing, you know, weighted chin ups with like three plates hanging from my waist. Wow. Like 35 that's really good. And, for sets of five and, you know, really going into it with the intent of getting stronger. And like you see these people, like you see a dude who's benching, I don't know, like 275 or something. And then they're doing dumbbell rows with like 60 pound dumbbells. And it's like something's yep. not wrong right here. Well, it's going to catch up at some point. You know, that's it's it always does. But I <clears throat> there's a great video. And anyone watching this can uh, can access it. it's on YouTube. Uh, a guy <clears throat> went and trained with the Norwegian long range reconnaissance team. It's a special forces team out of Norway and their testing was, <clears throat> uh, a med ball throw, a seal row, which is you're on an elevated flat bench and you row a barbell up to your, up to the bottom of the bench. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? So it's like a chest supported row. That's uh, flat, yeah. a weighted chin up and probably one of the most insane conditioning tests I've ever seen in my entire life. And I, I looked at these guys. These guys are fucking literally they're warriors, but their physical fitness is crazy. And if they've deemed that those two back movements to be uh, assessments to these absolute insane physical beasts, then you should probably do something like that too. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, become a Norwegian long-range sniper. Uh, it means that they are important. So. Tremendous video. I can't remember the exact thing, but it is unbelievable, especially when you watch their conditioning test. It's uh, it makes if you've ever pushed yourself uh, in like a real conditioning sense, like to the point where you feel like you're shitting yourself, you'll watch that video and all those emotions will come back. It's like drinking too much tequila, <laughs> throwing up, and then like six months later, you take a shot of tequila and you just feel like, oh, this is done. I'm done. I'm done. I can see it all. I can taste the burrito. I <laughs> So, but, uh, so yeah, super important. Uh, and you know, the one thing that we do, uh, with our kids, and I don't know if this is going to help anyone, but maybe it does. 
is with our lower bodies, we call it, uh, we want to athlete our lower bodies and we want to bodybuild our upper bodies. So when I say athlete our lower, we're always looking for power and speed and power and speed, power and just it's over and over again with, uh, our upper body. We just want to build some muscle mass because it's, it's been my experience along with millions of other people that when they're trying to increase their bench or whatever they're doing, if you don't have that muscle mass, it takes time. They need that muscle mass to get stronger. So that's always the kind of my warrior call. So we call it bodybuild the upper athlete, the lower. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then there's one last thing I want to touch on was pause work. What are your thoughts on the use of that for your big lifts? Uh, if you think it will help you, if you mentally think that's what's holding you back, I think it's great. I think it's super smart for not so much for a beginner. Cause I don't think, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessary, but if you're to the intermediate and maybe You need to learn how to focus on exploding and gathering that energy. I know it sounds really weird, but that's how I learned how to lift was understanding that everything I do has to go into the bar. I can't have any wasted motion. I can't have any <clears throat> wasted movement. Those can help. I think that will help you, especially if you don't have like an athletic background uh, where you're, you've been forced to explode. I think that can make a difference, but millions of guys have gotten super strong without it. So I don't know if it's it's technically not terribly necessary, but for a short amount of time, I think it can be. I think the other thing is I would use that as a supplemental lift. So for example, let's say mm. you bench press, work up, whatever sets you got, we will lower the weight to around 70% or so mm-hmm. uh, of, of your training max. And we don't go to failure. We just go sets of three to five and it's, you know, controlled pause. Uh, the other thing is when you do the pauses and let's say you want to do a three second pause, you should have your training partner count three seconds. It's not one, two, three. Yeah. Cause everyone <laughs> seems to count very quickly. <laughs> yeah. a, a good three second. Like I've seen people talk about like, ah, we're doing a five second eccentric. And I actually timed them like, dude, that was a minute and like 1.5 seconds. Yeah. Cause it's always like one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> and, uh, so the, so if you're going to do it, just be, try to be honest, try to make it, uh, how do I put it? Make sure it's appropriate for your level. A lot of people don't have the muscular strength and conditioning, uh, especially in their upper back, uh, abs and lower back to hold those bottom positions without getting hurt. So I think that needs to be addressed too. Uh, so again, don't do something unless you're ready for it. And mm-hmm. it's always best to keep a couple things in your toolbox so when you really need them, uh, you can break them out. Yeah, I think that's kind of been a theme to this talk. And I think this would be good to wrap up on where, you know, with a lot of these specialized accessory movements, you really want to like know what you're doing if you're actually going yes. to be implementing them, yeah. right? Where you don't just read it yes. off like some Google article and you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do you yeah. know, deficit deadlifts now. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the, I think I have had more people tell me that deficit deadlifts did not help their pull off the bottom because their body position changes so greatly. That doesn't mean it can't help you, but maybe that is not what you really need. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think a lot of times people put a little too much stock in some of that stuff, uh, before they need to. And, 
But you know, if they're if they, and it's it's crazy because they're they see their heroes do it. You know, he's deadlifting 800 pounds, but he does yeah. them. Like you deadlift 225, dude. <laughs> yeah. And you're and you're wearing straps. So let's let's, <laughs> let's just calm down a little bit, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The game changes very much when you get to different <laughs> levels. <laughs> oh, it's uh, you know, someone asked me something about this today, and I'm like, the I didn't realize how big of a mental game some of this stuff is uh, when you get to a certain level. And that doesn't mean obviously that you, you obviously have to train incredibly hard, but that training becomes very difficult when you get very strong, very strong. Uh, because let's say, for example, you're a 200 pound bench presser and mm -hmm. you bench in like 185, which is what 90 some odd percent. Okay. There's, it's much different than a 900 pound squatter squatting. What is that? 810? Yeah. No. Or whatever it is. Uh, it's a big difference. Like there is a real massive difference, even though the percentages technically line up. And uh, like even those guys, when they're working up to, let's say, 800 pounds, like a five, when you're at four or 500 pounds, you can't just take it off and all willy nilly that everything has to be perfect. You get really hurt. Mm. Uh, and obviously the other big thing is, I don't think people understand this either. Just like in bodybuilding, when you see those guys pictures and they're all shredded, they look like that for like six hours. Like that's they're not walking around like that, you yeah. know, like every day. And just like when you see a guy deadlift a thousand pounds, he's not, he's able to do a thousand pounds at that moment. He's not, you know, three months before the meet, he's not deadlifting a thousand pounds. It doesn't work like that. You can't. Mm. The higher you are, the harder it is to <clears throat> to maintain that level. So that's why a lot of times younger lifters can lift pretty hard and pretty close to their max day in and day out, where the average lifter can't do that. They're just not. It's not. If you can, man, you're you're a one of a kind. Oh, mm -hmm. My here, here we go. My I'm at ten percent right now on my phone. I apologize. Oh yeah time to wrap up but yeah it's always yeah. great to hear your perspectives on things and you know you've had all this so much experience and i think a lot of people will benefit from this well, i hope so i hope so i just i'm really uh, i've got that point in my life where i really want to give back i think working with the kids has done best thing i ever did with my life was uh because this my high school uh was where i learned a lot of this stuff and uh i think it's important so if you are an older guy uh, and you have a chance, it doesn't have to be lifting. It can be anything. Please try to give back, uh, in service. You will find it'll reward you greatly when you're in service of others. So, yeah, that's great. And I'm the so, most selfish person alive. I mean, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so if I can do it, anyone can do it. So I love it. There you go. Where can people find you? Uh, well, we have, uh, jimwenler.com, www.jimwenler.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I answer every question generally, as long as I see it on Instagram. Uh, Facebook is a dying thing. I don't really go on there. Uh, I'm not a huge uh, social media guy, uh, but you are more than welcome to uh, send me a direct message. Uh, I have big fat fingers and thumbs, so you're not going to get like a 8,000 word thing, but I will be as honest as possible and uh, I will try not to be rude. But uh, I grew up as a son of a coach. I've been around it, surrounded by coaches my whole life. <laughs> so it's always one of those. I try to be direct. And, and uh, so just I guess I'm not going to lie to you. 
yeah. best thing I'll tell you. So yeah, good stuff. All right, yeah. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Hey, real quick, I'm gonna do this. My oldest son, uh, he just entered college. Uh, he played football, played a bunch of sports, and he lifted, but he lifted because he did for sports. Okay. And he came out here during spring break. He lives with his mom and we always train. That's I've always wanted to be an example. And, uh, he, he doesn't have access to a weight room. He's probably like a lot of people. Uh, and he just decided one day, fuck it. I'm going to get in great shape. And remember he didn't have access to a weight room. He had nothing. He did weight vest walks. I got him a weight vest. He started with a backpack. He did body weight squats, push-ups, and like abdominal work. Okay, that's it. That's mm-hmm. it. He just did it every single day. And he started off with maybe like 100 squats and 50 push-ups. He's worked himself up where you can do 500 squats and 500 push-ups and like 150 chins or something, uh, a workout. He lost so much body fat. He is absolutely shredded right now. And he is, it's obnoxious because he's like, dad, check this out. I'm like, God, I don't need to see you again. <laughs> the, the point of all this is I'm, it's a partial brag. I'm super proud of him, but you don't need a lot of specialty. You just need a lot of consistency and a lot of discipline to get there. Now, if he did this with is basically, he was in, did like a prison workout, a mm-hmm. jump rope, uh, that, <clears throat> it, so the most important thing is the consistency and the discipline to do a lot of the stuff that maybe you don't really want to do. Uh, yeah. You don't need a specialty bar. You don't need a weight room uh, with a million things in there. You just need to be able to kick ass on a daily basis. So there you go. Yeah, no, that, I think that was a big lesson people took away from the pandemic, you know, when you take away the oh. gyms and people are like, oh, I can't train now. I mean, yeah, you can. <laughs> yes, <laughs> It'll be you painful. Can. <laughs> yep, yeah. And, and it's like you weren't like I always my son and I were talking. I'm like, you could easily knock out a 500 squats a day just throughout the day, you know. Right. I mean, you're watching TV. You could have been doing squats, me and you, yeah. for this interview. It would have been a little distracting, you know, seeing my head. Uh, but it's it's amazing what happens if uh, you have that kind of purpose and discipline. So that's the best thing I can tell everyone. Uh, don't look for the easy way. Just look for the uh, consistent way. Yeah. Good talk. All right. Hope people take that away. Thanks again, Jim. Yeah. Thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate it. And good luck. Uh, what is it? September, you said? November. November. Okay, that's right. Okay, November. All right. Don't just maybe did I make you panic at all? Like shit, it was <laughs> <it's> September. <laughs> so, all right. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I hope everyone gets something out of this. Uh, and thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. That's all for now, guys. Thanks for listening. I am available on a very limited basis for one-on-one online coaching. I also offer one-time custom hypertrophy programs tailored to your needs. So if you want to take your gains to the next level, DM me on Instagram and I'll let you know my rates. Make sure you follow the podcast and we'll see you next time.